the Spirit came. We are now in the dispensation of the Spirit. We're now in the acts of the apostles. We're now in the period of God's purpose in which he hath been pleased to take the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Save yourselves. Save yourselves. From this untoward generation. This is a generation that's twisted. It's confused. It's lost. It's without God. It's without hope. It's a generation that is in terrible darkness. I think my little trip up to Boston this week, Monday and Tuesday, certainly opened my eyes. I have heard about Berkeley, California, of course, and the Berkeley students, and we've heard about Harvard having some of it. But to just go to Cambridge, as we did, and walk the streets there, and be down around Harvard Square in the heart of the city there, and to see these students in that university. I'll be very frankly with you, some of them look to me like they were a bunch of savages. Just savages. Their dress... Their hair, how these people can live with matted hair. I should think the bugs would bite them after a while. The filthiest things you ever saw, these kids, these college kids. And the girls had on these mini skirts, many of them did. I saw more of it up there than I have anywhere in the United States. Of course, you see an awful lot of it in England, but Harvard seems to have it. And then these boys and dressed up like women and they've just thrown away our convention. They're in rebellion against everything, I guess, that we've always stood for. And they show it by the way they act and the way they talk and the way they carry on. Some of them came to our meeting on uh, Tuesday night. And I shall never forget when one of them got up over there. There's a crowd sitting over there. I couldn't tell whether they men or women. And so when one of them got up, a slim fella had the hair just like a woman. Looked like one. I said, I said, are you a boy? Are you a man or a woman? He's going to ask me a question. I want to know who was talking to him, whether it was a male or a female. And he never told me. Later on, I discovered he was. And after the meeting was over, well, he still hung around there, and I got a chance to talk to him. And he objected to the fact that I raised the question. I said, sir, I said, I have to go by what I see. I couldn't tell the difference. Were you a boy or a girl? Well, he said he was a boy. And I said, well, frankly, that thing you got on your head, you can buy them over here at the wig shops for a dollar, three dollars, ten dollars, twenty-five dollars, but I thought maybe you had a wig on. And I really talked to that young fellow. But they have just thrown aside decency and we have an untoward generation. And in the days when the apostle was preaching and here were these people in darkness without God, they didn't have the true God. And he says, save yourselves. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. You must recognize that you are in sin, in sin, and you must repent. You must repent of this sin. And you must call on the name of the Lord and the Lord God will save you and deliver you from your sin. Now, beloved, that is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that is the mission and the task of the church. 
to deal with sin, with the darkness of this world and all the corruption. Next Sunday night, I'm going to speak on this subject of the new morality and sex as it's in this confession of faith. It is a terrible thing. And you read the papers and you see what's going on and we're going down and down and down and lovely girls are being ruined and fine young men are losing their ideals and homes are being broken and we're having a disintegration here in our society because of this so-called situation ethics. And if you can decide your situation in these matters as it relates to sex, you can decide your situation in these matters as it relates to honesty and dishonesty and to stealing and not stealing and to murder and not murder. You can take the law into your hands and make your own decisions. And as a result of the fact that we've thrown overboard the standards, the standards which God has set for us, we have this breakdown that's taking place all about us. But beloved, when Peter began to preach at Pentecost, and when these disciples went out to evangelize, they were dealing with a world that was just full of it. Everywhere you turned, it was darkness and sin. And they went in there with this message of salvation, with this message of regeneration, with this message of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that message changed people. It straightened out lives. It cleaned up homes. It made decent individuals out of men and women who were in the darkness of sin. And this is the message that did it. And this is the only message that will do it. And it's the message that comes through the preaching of Christ and the blessings of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. Now tonight I'm continuing this series on the new confession. My little book, The Death of a Church, has a chapter on reconciliation. And under that reconciliation they include the subjects of civil rights, of peace with the communist, of poverty, and of sex. These four areas are touched in that new confession. And one of the things that stands out and strikes you so far as this new confession is concerned, that in each of these areas, if you don't do what they have decided is the thing to be done, if you don't subscribe to the program that they say must be put into action, if you don't do what they have decided is the program that must be followed, then you resist the Spirit of God and bring contempt on the faith. Now that's the one on civil rights. If you don't do what they say in the field of civil rights, you resist the Spirit of God. When you get down to the whole paragraph, it's paragraph B. It's on page 190 of the book which you have in your hands. You get down to that section dealing with reconciliation with the communist world and we must take risks even to our national security. They say that's line 405. We're told if we don't go away along like this, that... Uh, you deny the lordship of Christ. If you're not going to take the risk that they say you must take, 
in trusting the communist and working with the communist and being reconciled with the communist, you deny the lordship of Christ. And then when you get to the third paragraph that deals with this matter of poverty, they go so far to say that if you don't follow the program that they outline here in dealing with poverty, that you make a mockery of reconciliation and offer no acceptable worship to God. You can't even worship God acceptably if you don't follow what they have to say here about the poverty program. And you deny the Lordship of Christ if you don't follow what they say about reconciliation to the communists. And you resist the Spirit of God if you don't follow what they say in regard to this so-called reconciliation in the civil rights field. And we have reached a place, beloved, in the unfolding of this new confession of 1967, where we can now see the main thrust of the confession, the main purpose of the new confession. They don't talk about denying the Lordship of Christ when you talk about the virgin birth or the deity of Christ. No, that's all long since past. That's way behind us. They don't talk about the acceptable worship of God when it comes to this matter of belief in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. No, 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 that's all past. We've given up these doctrinal controversies. We've passed that stage. We've moved way down the road now, and the church is out here in the great action field. The church has gone now into the world itself and out here in the world the church is going to provide leadership in the civil rights struggle. The church is going to provide leadership in reconciliation with communism. The church is going to provide leadership now in behalf of the poverty program. And the church is going to provide the guidance now in the great areas of the new morality. And the new confession, beloved, was adopted. To make out of the church a great agency which would promote these social and revolutionary changes in our society. That is the main thrust of the new confession. And they work themselves up as they think this thing over and back and forth and around and upside down and they rephrase it. They come to the place where they say, if you don't do what we say, if you don't follow us in this civil rights program that we've outlined for you people, if you don't do that, then you resist the Spirit of God. And then they come along and say, if you don't follow us in this reconciliation with the communist world, then I'm just telling you, you don't accept the Lordship of Christ. And if you don't follow us in our anti-poverty program as you move into the political action, into all these areas dealing with poverty, then I just want to tell you very plainly, they say that you cannot give any acceptable worship of God. You realize what that says? That means that we haven't been worshiping God right all these centuries. If you can't acceptably worship him until you do it the way they say you do it in the poverty field, well, we're not even worshiping him tonight. We can't give acceptable worship to him until we come around. And beloved, what is happening here is they've rejected the infallible Bible. They've rejected this message of reconciliation. They've rejected this gospel as we have it in the Bible directed to the individual. They have laid aside that matter. 
And now they turn to the church and its political action, the church and its social action, the church and these areas of action in the world. And if you don't follow us in this, then all these terrible things are upon you. You've resisted the Spirit of God. Now that's what we've come to. It is tragic beyond word, beloved. All the action in civil rights field, all the action in the communist field, all the action in the area of poverty, all the action they're proposing in the field of sex can't regenerate a single soul. They just can't do it. And they're laying aside the main great function and purpose of the church, which is to make new creatures and bring you to the place where you will repent. And you'll be baptized. And you'll take the name of Christ on you. And you'll serve the Lord Jesus Christ according to his own commandments and not according to some social action program that the church says to you, you have to accept or you resist the Spirit of God. You people listening in the radio, don't get disturbed. My harness fell off a couple of times. It seems that it pulls off when I get excited. Seems to come off. I hope I can keep it on. But I have this uh, mic around my neck. You see, that's what it is. And, and it gives a little more uniformity in the speech, especially when I move around just a little bit. But it's already fallen off of me twice. I guess the devil's getting in my microphone. Trying to stop or hinder the ministry that I have. But will you turn in the little book, if you have it here, to the section... That deals with civil rights. It's on page 66. How many of you brought your books with you tonight? Let's see. Well, good for you. Everybody seems to have them. Now, when we get into this section, we're told that it's the business of the church to discern the will of God and to learn to obey in these concrete situations. And then when we ask the question, how are they going to discern the will of God? Well, of course, we just learned in our message last Sunday night that we can get light and instruction from the pagan religions also and from all areas where we may be able to obtain any knowledge, scientific knowledge, any other area. And then in the, the revolutionary struggle of the day, God is in the revolutions. God is in the civil rights struggle. God is in the communist struggle. And we look in the revolution, we look in the pagan world, we look in the scriptures, which is, of course, still with us. We can look at it and get any guidance we think might be helpful from it. But it is not the infallible word of God anymore. It's not the only infallible rule of faith and practice by which we regulate and govern our lives and our conduct as the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we read that the church is now guided by the Spirit, but this Spirit they're talking about speaks to us from the pagan religions, speaks to us from the revolution of the hour, speaks to us from the ferment that's in the world at large, 
And out of all of this, then we come to an understanding of what God's message is for this time and this place. And one of the messages for this time and this place is civil rights legislation. That's what it is. One of the things that we've discerned as the will of God is this whole question of civil rights legislation. Now you'll notice on verse on page 68 down there paragraph 3 instructed by all attainable knowledge the church is going to get all this so-called attainable knowledge and out of that it will develop the program which is needed for each particular time and for each particular place Now if you'll turn to page 69 the one great error so far as the bible is concerned in our whole civil rights approach is that it is built upon the fallacious and unbiblical concept of the universal brotherhood of man and the universal fatherhood of God. And that's in this new confession. That's in this new confession. And this idea that the brotherhood of man includes everybody and everything. There's no idea of sin. There's no idea of condemnation. There's no idea of the wrath of God. There's no difference between the saved and the lost. We've just got one great universal brotherhood. And on page 69, I point out that the National Council of Churches was reported in the New York Times, October 19, 1963, as acting through its policy-making general board in support of specific of the Pacific Civil Rights Bill as it was reported out by the subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee. Then the council said, quote, the brotherhood of man transcends all partisan politics and the basic issue of social justice must not be compromised. And then in the debate on this civil rights legislation, on page 71, I report that Senator Hubert Humphreys, now pres Vice President of the United States, in a story in the New York Times, March the 31st, sought to demonstrate before the United States Senate this idea of brotherhood, and he said, then putting aside, the New York Times says, his prepared speech, the Minnesota Democrat picked up the Bible and read the 12th verse of the seventh chapter of St. Matthew. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The senator then said, it is to fulfill this great admonition, this is what we're trying to do in this civil rights bill. Now, beloved, the senator was quoting the golden rule. And the golden rule was not addressed to a social or political body to implement or to enforce by legislative controls. The golden rule was directed to you, to your heart, to you as an individual. It was directed to us who have been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and have some love in our heart. And we have reached a place where all in the world socialism is is an attempt to make rigid by state regulation and control how they want to make you good. They're going to make you good by the state making you good. 
And beloved, the state can't make you good. The state can't make you a new creature. The state can't make you a new man. It can put regulations and police powers and take away your liberties and put all these things about you. And we're getting more and more of that. And the area here is that the church, now get this, beloved, that I want everybody listening to me to listen tonight. The church has forsaken the one power that can make people good. The regenerating power of the gospel. That's what every last one of them ought to be preaching tonight. And it's turned over here to the political arena and to the political powers. And they're saying, by legislation, by the power of the state, by the action that we recommend to the state, we're going to make you people good. And they can't make you good, and the state can't make you good, and the devil can't make you good, and nobody can make you good. There's not a power anywhere on this earth that can make you good except the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only one. And if somehow or other we could get this message that I'm preaching tonight across to the great rank and file and millions of Christians that still love the word tonight, and if they could get the, the misrepresentation and the uh, accusation that's heaped against men like myself who are crying out in these particulars in our country, if they could get that brushed away and they could come back to the place where Peter is preaching at Pentecost and Peter is preaching in Jerusalem and he says, this is what David said. This is the Lord of glory. This is the one who was raised from the dead. This is the one who's at the right hand of God. This is the one who sent the Holy Spirit. These men are drunk. This is just the third hour of the day. These men are filled with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And you men in Jerusalem, by wicked hands, you crucified the Lord of glory. Oh, if men would preach that. Oh, if we could hear that voice in the land. Oh, if men would repent of their sins and turn to Christ. We could have good people and we'd be able to make some progress. You know, every time I get on these open mic programs, I'm going on them more all the time, you know. It's amazing. It seems like they've got a Bishop Pikes going around all the time, and then this uh, Malcolm Boyd's going around, Are You Running With Me, Jesus? That's his book. And then it gets to where I'm going around behind them, and I'm, they always are two or three days ahead of me. And some days they're behind me, but I was on the, pi the, the mic in, in Minneapolis on Friday night, and they're going to have Pike there next week after me. But these men are going all over the country. They're going everywhere with a new morality and with a revolution in theology and they're just preaching and preaching. And we don't have any men to go up and go after them or go behind them. Nobody seems to be able or willing to do it. Oh, the colossal change which is taking place right now. 
what our fathers believed and how they loved the gospel and how they laid the foundations of morality and Puritan concepts of the individual in our land. We're throwing it away. Now, one other thing about this civil rights. When I get on these programs, they always ask me about civil rights, civil rights, civil rights. You know what I do? I come back with them because the facts are so apparent now. I come back and say, well, what have you been able to accomplish by your civil rights legislation? And I point out you've got two things you've accomplished by it. First, you've revealed black power. I said this week, the University of Columbia, New York, put out a statement that the Negroes are now segregating themselves in New York City. In the university, they segregate themselves. They do it. They want it. I said, you've got more segregation in this country tonight than we've ever had. Washington, they say, is almost a segregated city. The Negroes live inside the city limits and the white people live outside. Philadelphia, in the lifetime that I've been here, these 30 years, I've seen Philadelphia completely change. The Negroes have taken over most of the inside of the town, and the whites have moved out in the country. Am I right? Absolutely right. Cleveland, look at what's happened to Cleveland. Take all the major cities. The Negroes have gone and congregated themselves in the center of these cities. The white people have moved out, and now the politicians and the Negroes have moved in with all their relief and assistance. And that's what's happening. Beloved, you can't deal with civil rights by the power of the hand of the state. The only way in the world you can get people to love each other and respect each other is to put that respect and that love inside of them. And you can't put it in any other way than through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, beloved, we need to have some evangelism. We need to have people who say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And let's go to the house of God. And let's build churches. And let's witness to others. And let's win them to Christ. And let's bring them to the gospel. And let's pray for their souls. And let's show them that this is sin. Terrible, wicked sin. Now, in the field of poverty, you've got the same affair. Let me turn to the section on poverty. Will you look at that? Because you've got the same approach. It's interesting that I have a story in here right out of Philadelphia on this. But uh, the uh, section on poverty is the third section in the political or social action field. And they've gotten the same idea that the way in which to uh, correct the poverty is to let the state do it. In fact, the idea seems to be now that it can't be done unless the state actually does provide for it. So we have to work out our finances whereby we're going to take care of the poor. And in doing so, this chapter on poverty has in it a section which I want to call, let's turn back to the New Confession itself, on page 190 and 191. It's line 421. The church cannot condone poverty whether it is the product, notice, of unjust social structures. The very first thing they mention is unjust social structures. This is the way the communists talk. It's our capitalistic social structure that's unjust. Exploitation of the defenseless. 
Nice communist propaganda, ladies and gentlemen, that's what it is. Lack of national resources, absence of technological understanding, or rapid expansion of population. Now, you know what they left out at that point? All these things are causing poverty. All these things are causing poverty. Unjust social structures they mentioned first. Uh, lack of uh, uh, national resources. Uh, too much uh, expansion in the population. Too many babies are being born. Exploitation of the defenseless. This is the uh, capitalist exploitation of the poor. These are the arguments against our capitalistic system. They're in this confession of faith. Here they are. You know what they left out? You know the best way in the world to get yourself to be poor? is just let the lusts that are in your flesh aggravate themselves and you'll stay poor. You know what makes people poor? So if he gets his paycheck on Saturday night, Friday night now, where does he go? Goes over here at the bar, spends it all up. He can't take care of his kids. You know a way to be poor? Just go over here at the racetrack. You'll stay poor. I guarantee you you'll stay poor. You're just going over there. And it's sin. It's dissipation. It's lust. These are the things working in the hearts of men. You want to be poor? Just quit working, that's all. Get lazy. Lay around. And the spirit of laziness is everywhere today. Let the, let them, let the state take care of them. They'll feed me. Why should I work? Now, we've gotten to a place right now where the handouts in these relief areas are so big that if there's two of you involved, you get along better than if one of you was on a payroll somewhere. And you can go to sections of this country right now where people are just telling you, I'm not going to work. My goodness, I don't need to work. I'm in favor with the Democratic boss. I'm being taken care of. Don't need to worry about me. And the whole destruction of character the whole destruction of the sense of responsibility for yourself, the whole destruction of this idea that you must be accountable to God, it's not in the new confession. They've left it out. And I heard Dr. Gayros the other night up there testifying. He said, the gospel came into my country and we received it and it made some decent people out of us. We became respectable. We saved our money. We didn't squander it and waste it. And beloved, the best way in the world to eliminate poverty is to preach the gospel and to get people to where they'll save their pennies, appreciate the value of a dollar, and they won't squander what they have on sin and lust and dissipation. They won't go out and drink it all up. They won't gamble it all away at the horses. They won't go out and throw it away. Well, the state will take care of me. The Democratic boss is over here in charge, and I'll be all right. You have in the new confession an attack upon the social structure, an attack upon these things that relate to the state, and the state's going to take care of the individual. But they have completely left out the responsibility of the individual for himself. That's what they've left out. You are responsible for your sins. You are responsible for your soul. You are responsible for your children. 
You are responsible for your church. You are responsible for your home. You are a responsible individual. And you are responsible because God made you responsible to him. He created you to serve him. And the state out here is just an incidental thing that keeps a little law and order so we can serve the Lord. That's all it's supposed to be. It's a minister of God to protect us so we can have liberty. And it was never, never intended to become a grandfather or a father or a, some kind of a provider for us from the cradle to the grave. The state was never designed or intended to be that sort of a power over the lives of men. We are responsible to God, and God alone is the Lord. And the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And when I get into these social action provisions here of this new confession, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you tonight, just as plainly as can be, every Presbyterian in the country that's an individual, has a business, a capitalist, he has a farm, he has anything, he ought to wake up and throw the thing out in the road and say, I'm not going to go to a church that's undermining my freedom, and I don't believe in using the power of the church to change the state and make a socialistic. But how can you get these ideas across? And if somebody gets up and begins to preach on them like I'm preaching on them tonight and telling you people some of these things, they say, Preacher, why don't you preach the gospel and get out of these areas of politics? Beloved, I'm reading to you from the new confession. I'm reading to you from the new creed, which will be the great standard and the banner under which this three million member church is now going to operate in the political action field. And if you think we've had trouble up to this time, you haven't started thinking yet. Because we're going to have trouble. When these men are so powerful that they can get into this senior scholastic, this eight-page article, there are only 32 pages in the whole May 5th senior scholastic, only 32 pages in the whole thing, eight full pages to the high school students of this country are used to attack those of us whom they call right-wing extremists and dangers to the country. Here's Resolution 160 put in the senior scholastic in all the high schools of this country. Talk about power. How do they get the power to get into that document? and seek to deal with men like Dr. McIntyre and try to discredit us in the minds of millions of young people in this country, the next generation that's coming up. Oh, Peter said, repent, repent. Their sin, their sin, their sin. Jesus Christ said that there was only one way in which you could find life and comfort and peace and that was through him, only one. My, oh my. To think their new confession leaves out the responsibility of the individual and it exalts the responsibility of the state over us. Listen to this. It, that is the church, encourages those forces in human society that raise men's hopes for better conditions and provide them with opportunity for a decent living. The church is going to support all these social action programs out in the political world 
We're going to support them. We're going to provide for them. Then it goes on in the civil action, the civil rights section. It says that we must eliminate what they call this discrimination in all areas of housing. They mention housing. And married. They mention marriage. All these areas are in here. That's your new confession. Just take it and read it. And all in the world they've done is to lay the platform for more and more and more political action which the leaders of the church are going to promote. And if you object to it, I say, I'm sorry, madam, it's in the new confession. This is the basis of it. It's in the new confession. This is the basis of it. My, the responsibility that we have tonight to deal with these things and to alert God's people. Now, next Sunday night, I'm going to get into the sex. It'll be Mother's Day next Sunday. And I want especially to emphasize this next Sunday night. When some of us get through with the plans that we have next Sunday night, and I'm going to exalt the home and the marriage and the purity of these concepts which God regulates for us. But just as they tear down these ideas of individual accountability in the field of poverty, they tear down the ideas of individual accountability in the field of your own conduct in matters of purity. They tear it down. And it's here. Can you understand what your pastor means when he tells you and under tell you over and over again that in the last 300 years this is the greatest revolutionary change that has come in these churches? Here it is. And the new great church they're going to build, same idea of the Bible, it's not infallible anymore, but uh, it has some things in it that will inspire people if they want to search them out. But we must look everywhere for guidance and we'll get truth out of the revolution. We'll get truth out of the pagan religions. We'll get truth out of the strife of the moment and the hour. We'll get some truth out of the Bible, that which we would like to accept. But out of all these things, we'll make up our mind what the program is for the day. And if you don't follow it in the matters of poverty, you can't worship God acceptably. Now that's it, beloved, and I have misrepresented it one way. And you people here tonight who are in this apostasy, I plead with you, my friend, please don't support it. Please get out of it. Please come and be a part of a continuing testimony that's going to stand by the old faith and the old standards and the old confession because it represents the teachings of the old book and it holds up before us the old-time gospel. And if you haven't been born again, the message of Peter on the day of Pentecost is the message, and it'll always be the message. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Ye shall be born again. Ye shall become a new creature. And all the powers of this earth, all the workings of the political agencies, all that Washington has with its multiplied billions that they're squandering in so many places, all of this, beloved, can't change a single human soul and make it righteous. Only the grace of God can save a sinner. Only the gospel which teaches that Christ died for your sins. Beloved, let's be Christians. Let's be evangelists. Let's be a part of a great testimony today that will take its stand and know whereof we stand and not be ashamed of the gospel nor of the testimony of our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
This week, the Lord willing, copies of this book will be presented to every student in Princeton Theological Seminary. This little book that I'm outlining for you. And then we'll go ahead with our other plans. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we just thank Thee tonight for this blessed message. Oh, how we thank Thee for Jesus Christ. And when we see this civil rights legislation and the communists back of it as they've been, and we see that it hasn't succeeded and it hasn't done what they said it would do, oh Lord, we pray that our nation may re-examine these matters and that we shall return freedom to our people. Bless the meeting in Washington tomorrow night. Oh, may the people come to it. Lord, especially the radio issue. If we can't have the radio, if we can't preach the gospel, if we can't do these things in this area, Lord, we're going to be shut up and shut out. But, oh, Father, Thou art powerful, more powerful than all these secular forces. Deal with Drew Pearson tonight. Our Father, when he spreads these false tales and misrepresents the things that we have done and said, deal with this man, Lord, in Thy providence. For thou art God, and help us not to be afraid, but to press on with greater courage and greater strength. And Lord, may somebody give us that million dollars that we're asking for across the land. For Christ's sake, amen.